Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. My dad grew up on a forestry in Queensland, Australia, as the son of a forest ranger. My whole life, we've spent a lot of time out in that forest camping and driving through parts of the forestry that only rangers would travel, and only occasionally. One place that Dad loved to take us was a little farm in the middle of the forest that was impossible to find if you didn't know the way. Locals knew the place as Spike's Hut. Spike was a local farmer who had lived there for decades up until the 90s, and had a reputation for being abusive, violent, bigoted, and not concerned with the laws of men. He had a habit of approaching guys in bars who were wearing earrings and tearing them straight out, and there were a few stories about people who displeased him just disappearing. Basically, Spike was not a nice guy, and his farm and hut reflected that pretty well. Dad would take us out there every time that we visited the forest, and the hut would be more and more dilapidated, but the vibe was always sort of the same, that straight-up feeling of being watched, even though Spike was long gone. As I got older, I became more aware of the signs of life in the place when we went to visit. There would be 44-gallon drums full of smashed beer bottles, fire pits with reasonably fresh coals. Someone was definitely out there. God knows why, since the place was literally a snake pit at that point. But Dad didn't seem to be too concerned. But one trip when I was a teenager got strange real quick. So my friends and I were all piled into my dad's four-wheel drive and we were driving through the bush to Spikes so dad could tell his scary Spike stories and freak us out. We drove onto the property and something immediately caught my eye. Up on the hill, opposite Spikes hut, there was what appeared to be a, a cowboy slumped against a log, hat over his face, taking a nap. Something about his body positioned looked unnatural and uncomfortable. It wasn't the way that you'd be sat if you were taking a casual nap in the middle of a workday, and even if it was, there was no reason for anyone to be out there. The farm was long defunct, and there was no forest business to be taken care of on the property or anything. I pointed it out to my dad, and instead of letting us out of the car at Spikes as he usually did, 
He said that he wanted to keep driving through the farm to show us something. He maintained that it was nothing, but that if the figure was still there when we came back through, we'd stop and check it out. Of course, whatever he wanted to show us seemed totally made up as he just sort of drove us through the forest a bit. And when we came back, I spotted the slumped over cowboy again, never having moved an inch, still in that same unnatural position. I yelled out to dad to stop, reminding him of his promise. But instead, he acted like he couldn't hear me, locked the truck doors and drove off the farm much faster than he ever drove on those dirt forest roads before. But my friends and I all sort of looked at each other in confusion, but we knew that when it came to this area, questioning my dad was pretty much futile at best, and dangerous at worst. Dad denied that any of the events of that day ever happened after that, but my friends and I were still very curious about what was going on out there. So a few months later, we went camping on our own and set out to find Spike's hut. It took us hours of driving through the forest to find the gate to Spike's property, but eventually we did find it without Dad's help. Something was off though once we got there, more so than usual that day though. My mates jumped out of the car but were suddenly frozen, not wanting to walk any closer to the hut for no visible reason though. I must admit that the vibe was just wrong that day and it felt like we had walked into something that really didn't belong to us. The tug in my gut to get out was really strong, but I mean, I'd spent two hours finding this place and I was going to explore it. But one of my friends acted brave and walked from the car to the hut with me, quietly acknowledging more and more signs of inhabitants with knowing nods between us. We said nothing to each other, but we were definitely on high alert. It honestly felt like someone could be back any minute or that they had never left in the first place and were just watching us as we poked around the debris. We walked up to the side of the hut to find a kind of small shed with three walls. I heard my friend's voice go squeaky as he called me over to look inside. On the ground was a huge pile of ashes from what looked like a, a cooking fire and confirming this was the presence of a giant makeshift grill made from cross-hatched wire sitting over the fire hinged to the shed wall. As I'm looking at this setup, I figure that whoever has been here has been hunting and cooking large chunks of their kill over the fire or something. They're pretty clever, actually. But then, my stomach dropped. As my eyes traveled down from the grill to the ground, I saw a baby sock. Tiny, pink, and terribly out of place. Then, another, and then a shirt, then a ribbon from a child's hair all sitting right beside the ashes on the ground, next to a woman's weekly Christmas cookbook. That's when the alarm bells in my head went off and I rounded up my mates to get out of there. Some ranger or crazy old bushy hanging out of the trashed hut was one thing, but there was absolutely no reason for a baby to be out there, and there's no way that anything good had come out of having a child's clothes right by a huge fire and a grill. When we got back to the campground, we couldn't shake the rotten feeling of being watched and all of us were so unsettled that we just picked up our stuff and decided not to stay the night. When I got home, I told my dad about it and he just shook it off, saying weird stuff happens out there. Being young and dumb, I never thought to look up missing persons in the area in an attempt to explain either the cowboy or the kid's clothes, 
What I can tell you is that I will never make the mistake of going out to Spike's hut without my father ever again. So, today has been a particularly slow day at work, and I've been wasting some time reading some stories, and I thought to myself that maybe enough time has passed and I can now share more. So I had this friend who was really into the occult. Unfortunately, I was the one who got him turned on to it in the first place, but we had a sort of mutual appreciation of the paranormal and all things weird, so I thought the subject would interest him. But he started going deep into the subject to the point where he wouldn't talk about anything else. He would actually interrupt a conversation and force the subject back to the occult matters. Rude, I know, but sometimes people go through phases where their interest is all they want to talk about, right? It was mostly a forgivable offense. I think I should mention too that this particular friend didn't have a very large friend circle. His depression and introverted nature kept him inside a lot. He didn't have the best of luck in relationships with women. His world was kind of small, I suppose, and I did enjoy hanging out with him, so I did my best to be a good friend. I didn't want to brush him off because he was acting a little weirder than normal or anything. And honestly, for the longest time, he was totally a normal guy. We'd chat and play games together on the PlayStation. Sometimes we'd go and see a movie with my boyfriend accompanying us. We all hung out at the park and we went swimming. Overall, we really had a great time hanging out. But things started to go downhill when he started to smoke DMT. Personally, I think psychedelics are amazing tools that can offer insight into your life, but they should be treated with care and respect. My friend got to the point where he was making it himself, apparently a pretty easy thing to do after a meager amount of research and he was smoking it daily, multiple times a day. For those of you who aren't familiar with the substance though, when you smoke it, you apparently get transported to a different world, an entirely new plane of existence in fact. Your body and yourself don't exist anymore, you're just exploring this alternate reality dreamscape. But people see all kinds of different things there as well, and I guess you can imagine what that may do to a person when they're smoking it like 30 times a day. He started telling me things too, like he was the reincarnated Osiris. He said that he was seeing Egyptian hieroglyphs all over the place in walking life. Apparently, he had four long conversations with entities in his bedroom, even when he wasn't smoking. Of course, I was very alarmed to hear all of this, and I told him that he needed to take a serious break. Like nothing at all for a few months so he can find solid footing in reality again. At this point, I was still hanging out with him too because he obviously needed some help and like I said before, he didn't have a lot of friends that could give him that. He was also the black sheep of the family so I knew that he wasn't going to get any kind of support from them. He was really close to his sister though and I did reach out to her on Facebook to express my concerns. I pushed her to talk to him into getting some psychiatric help because he was slipping past the point of no return. I'm not really sure if she took my message seriously since we didn't really know each other. Plus, she was at least six years younger than us and possibly didn't grasp just how serious the situation was becoming. In any case though, I'll jump forward now to the part where things get really creepy. So my boyfriend had made arrangements to hang out with our friend at the park. I didn't really want to go because I felt like I needed a break from him and his nonsensical ranting. 
I just couldn't deal with it on that particular day. My boyfriend, though, said that he wasn't all that bad, and we went anyway. We get to the park, and yep, he's his usual self, ranting about Egypt and made-up gods that only he knew the truth about, etc. But he also had this large hunting knife that he kept fiddling with the whole time that we were on the walk. He told us that he had been using it in ceremonial magic and that it helped to banish negative thoughts. It made me extremely uneasy though seeing him do that. He would do this thing too where he would take the knife and make stabbing motions near his heart or his head like he was mock stabbing himself all the while holding a conversation with me or my boyfriend. I think we were both really on edge and didn't know what to say or do about it. I tried to distract him from doing it by bringing up other subjects that might interest him, but he kept on with his ritual. Keep in mind, we were walking on a trail, so it wasn't like we could just say goodbye then and there and leave. We had to walk back to our car and drop him off at his car. My boyfriend had the bright idea that we should get some lunch after our walk, even though I was doing my best to give him a look that said, No, you're crazy. Why do you think I want to spend any more time with this guy? but it must have not have been very effective or my boyfriend was just ignoring it. Either way though, we ended up getting in the car to go and get some lunch. Now, in the car I was driving, my boyfriend was in the passenger seat and our weirdo friend was in the back. As we're heading through a busy part of town where all the shopping and the restaurants are, I hear the distinctive sound of a belt buckle coming undone. And then, I hear the worst sound imaginable. I peeked back out the corner of my eye, and my suspicions were confirmed. This crazy dude was full-on jacking off in our back seat. I mean, pants all the way down, bare butt on the seat, beating it so hard that it was like he wanted to rip it off. Instantly, I felt sick to my stomach, and all the nervous energy I had throughout the day popped up into my head. I was trying not to shake and trying to ignore it and drive through heavy traffic at the same time. I kind of had a freeze response I guess but the whole time I kept thinking about the huge knife that he had in his pocket and obviously he was completely off his rocker. Quite honestly too I was afraid to say anything or confront him because I didn't know how he was going to react. This part is nuts though but my boyfriend didn't seem to even notice it and the whole time he just kept rambling about god knows what. I couldn't listen because my thoughts were 100% focused on driving and trying to act like I didn't know what was going on in my back seat. We get to the restaurant though and my boyfriend runs inside to grab some food. Which means that I'm left alone in the car with our friend. And I try to act like I'm browsing on my phone when really I'm watching and listening as hard as I can. And we don't talk. My boyfriend finally gets back and I complain that I'm tired, it's been a long day, let's drop him off, etc. So I drive us back to our friend's car and he doesn't get out of our vehicle. He just sits there. I have to get a little bit rude and ask him please to get out and go home. He gets out of our car and walks over to his passenger side. I start getting really scared and I suspected the worst he pulled a gun out of some kind of a bag that he had on the seat and he just walks over to our car with it. And I still don't know why I did this but I was really angry so 
I just got out of my car and walked right up to him. I was maybe three feet away and could see that it was a loaded 9mm. I kept asking him over and over, what are you doing? Because apparently that's all my brain could think to do. I told him to get into his car and just go home. He never said anything during this whole time though, just kind of cried and had this wild look in his eye. For whatever reason though, he eventually got into his car and he just drove off. I told my boyfriend, obviously, that we were never hanging out with this guy again and that I didn't even want him to talk to him anymore. No contact, nothing. A few months pass and he occasionally messages me through the PlayStation or texts on my phone. He says a lot of random stuff and I just ignore it. It turns out too that he'd moved down to near Nashville. I don't know why. He had a roommate and I think their girlfriend lived there or something. I'm not really sure about the situation at all. I think though that maybe he's turning his life around and getting a fresh start down there. Who knows? I still think that it's best to just cut all contact and let him regroup. I'm not interested in any kind of friendship with him anymore and I know that he needed help beyond what anything I could offer. Again, I reached out to his sister though and let her know that he actually had a gun. She managed to get it from him somehow, but it did little good in the end. So I get a call around 11pm one night that wakes me up. It's a man claiming that he's a detective in Gallatin, Tennessee, and my heart skips a beat. I start sweating and immediately ask what happened, and apparently my former friend stabbed someone to death on Halloween day. I don't really know all the details and the articles about it are kind of sparse, but the whole thing is just really surreal for me, and... I guess that I'm just feeling that I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I didn't get shot that last summer. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So, firstly, I'm actually French and this story happened in France a few months ago. So, please excuse my English if it isn't perfect. So I was driving late at night with a friend, his name was Bob, on a little road in the middle of nowhere. It was about uh, one or two in the morning, I think. We were surrounded by woods and fields, typical landscape when you're in the country here. After a tiny corner in the middle of a forest, we saw a lady on the side of the road a few dozen meters in front of us. Immediately, my friend, who was the driver, slowed down the car to see if she needed help. 
She looked like a normal lady, not a ghost or a white lady or anything. Plus, my friend isn't very superstitious, so he thought that she was lost or maybe something more serious. Personally, as we were approaching this person, I started to feel uncomfortable, I'll admit, because I just knew that something was wrong. I told my friend this, which they say, Nah, don't worry, I'll just ask her if everything is okay. When we stopped the car, she looked at us and said that her car had a dead battery and she needs some help. She was in her 40s, maybe 50s I think, with long grey hair which looked really dirty. At this point, I was wondering how this situation was even possible. We were talking with a totally random woman in the middle of the night, in the middle of a forest. In hindsight, it seems completely weird and very dangerous, but at that moment, my friend was totally fine with the situation. It was a mix of a sort of unconscious kindness, I think, or something. But as I was thinking about the situation, she continued speaking and said that her car was on a forest road just at the right of the main road. She showed us a tiny, muddy path which was going deep into the woods. I looked at my friend. He looked at me raised his shoulders and said, okay, you can walk in front of the car and we'll follow you. She smiled at this and said, oh, thank you so much. You're really nice. I wasn't expecting people like you. She started to walk and we follow her slowly. 10 meters, 50, 100. As we're going deeper into the woods, we started to become more nervous. We weren't able to see the road behind us my friend started to realize that this was probably a mistake. During this whole thing, I was trying to explain to him how creepy this situation actually was. Finally, though, we arrived at the entrance of a clearing, and that's when things became real. Firstly, there was no car, but just an abandoned house with the roof completely destroyed and two caravans. It looked like the camp of some marginals or something. And secondly, the woman started to run to the caravans and disappeared behind them. At this point, it was very clear that this was some kind of an ambush or foul play. My friend immediately went back into reverse, and as we were leaving as fast as the road was permitting it, the girl reappeared and ran to our car. As she wasn't saying anything, just running, Bob accelerated in reverse, and we managed to get back out onto the main road and leave very quickly. The icing on the cake was when we went immediately to the police station, a few dozen kilometers away. But we told them our story, and they said to us that apparently we weren't the first. It appeared as though a couple of marginals and mentally unstable people who were living there were trying to lure drivers away by asking for help. All of the people in the area knew them, so they were aware of them, and it was a very remote road which meant that there wasn't a lot of strangers passing here. Anyway, thanks for listening and please be cautious out there because you never know who you might run into. Just after graduation, my family moved into a house previously owned by my great-grandmother. There were five of us at first, my parents and I, my friend Kay, and my boyfriend, now husband, who had moved in due to not wanting to move out of state with his family. The house had a sort of odd layout to it, as it had been a mobile home that had an attic in front of it, sort of a living room and the back master bedroom as well. 
My boyfriend had a room on one end of the house, Kay and I shared a room on the other end, and the kitchen was in the middle. And to get to the main bathroom, you would have to go through the room that Kay and I shared. So, it started with little things, weird feelings, moving objects, the sound of furniture being dragged and moved, most notably too, the bathroom door. We started keeping it shut at night, otherwise it would open and close on its own. It did this all the time as well, day or night. We checked for drafts and anything that could have caused it, but in the end we never found anything. We began to notice too that any time it started to move, if we got irritated and told it to stop, the door would immediately cease to move. One night, we hadn't been in bed long, when Kay got up to use the bathroom. I heard her leave the bathroom without closing the door, and I told her to close it because it bothered me. And I heard the long creak of the door as it slowly shut, but didn't quite click into place. I irritably told her to shut it all the way, but when she responds, that wasn't me, in a horrified tone from the opposite corner of the room. At that, I turned the light on and the door was completely shut, just not clicked into the frame. I ripped the door open and there was nothing there. We were obviously completely freaked out. I slammed the door and then I told her that this is why I kept the door shut. There was also the knocking as I like to call it. We had three doors on the house leading outside and pretty frequently we would hear three knocks on any of the said doors. I always look at the window before opening the door if we're not expecting any guests because you never know who might be there. So I would check the window and there was nobody there. I was once standing in front of the back door when this happened as well and I could clearly see through it, through the window on the door that is, that there was nobody there but the door was shaking, it was hit that hard. It wasn't long after this too that my boyfriend started having vivid nightmares of something trying to drag him from his bed. Later my mother's friend was over with a toddler and he was exploring like a normal kid his age does and he stopped in the doorway to my boyfriend's room and stared for a while. He then came back and started saying ghost and pointing at my boyfriend's room. Nobody had mentioned anything remotely related to ghost or scary and this was just nowhere near Halloween either so... We have no idea where this came from. We tried to brush it off though. I mean, it's just a kid saying silly things, right? But he was insistent. We tried to ask for details, but he would only say, Go see and ghost. I pointed him back to his room and he pointed at the small game closet and insisted, Ghost, go see. I opened the door for him and there was nothing there, but he insisted that... It was a ghost. The worst night we spent in the house by far though was when we'd been in bed for about 45 minutes when suddenly something slammed into the bed with enough force to shake the whole mattress. My bed frame didn't actually fit in the small room so the mattress was on a sort of box spring on the floor. But both Kay and I definitely felt it. We turned the light on and again there was nothing there so we got as far from the edges of the bed as possible and we just tried to sleep. But something grabbed Kay's foot and yanked her blanket away. Once again, the light revealed nothing and we were terrified. And then something slammed into the wall next to the other side of the bed. 
These things continued into the night as well, and we ended up just sleeping in the living room with my dad staying with us. My parents eventually moved out after a few months into the house that they were working on and left us in this house. So Kay and I moved into the master bedroom and made our old room the area where we kept our two new puppies' kennels. On three occasions, my eight-month-old Pitt would walk into that room, throw himself on the floor with all of his hair standing on end, and scream and growl while fixated on the upper corner of the room. When he would do this, I would have to physically drag him from the room and shut the door to calm him down. The other dog, too, would somehow get out of a locked kennel when he was left in there alone, and the kennel would still be locked and secure. We still have no idea how he did it. Kay and my mother started hearing voices, too, when they were there alone, and the uncomfortable feeling just got way worse. One night, something actually started clawing at our bedroom door, and we were so freaked out by it that I called my boyfriend to come look at the door from the other side because I was too scared to unlock and open it. The house actually got five feet of water in it during Hurricane Harvey, and we tore it down, and we eventually moved. I never felt really upset over losing that house, though. I was kind of relieved to be rid of it, if I'm being honest, and really hoped that the flood took whatever was in here. In autumn of 2018, I actually broke my left foot, and it required surgery. I lived in a not-so-nice neighborhood in southwest Detroit. Because of the surgery, I had been staying with family while I recuperated, but after the first few days, I drove home to gather some clothes and planned on staying there and driving back to my family's house the next day. I crutched into my house as I was simultaneously talking with a friend that called moments before I got into my door. I really needed to pee and with the phone nestled between my ear and shoulder, I sort of crutched through my bungalow to the rear of the house. With me talking and the noise of the crutches, I thought that I was hearing noises from my attic but it wasn't until I got into my bathroom and stopped that I was sure that someone or something was upstairs. I said to my friend, something along the lines of, Hey, hey, uh, hang on a second. Uh, there's something upstairs here. The initial split-second thought was that an animal was in the house. And no sooner I said that, the loudest boom came down the floor in what seemed like directly over me, and it sounded like the weight of a full-grown man falling. Side details of the attic as well. It was like a, an attic that could have been converted into a bedroom that went the full length of the house and I'm six feet tall and I could stand right up in the middle of it. But my friend was immediately surprised responding like, what was that? She actually thought that I had fallen and I was like, no, someone broke in, they're upstairs. I book out, on crutches no less, back to the front of the door and I'm waiting for someone to come busting out of my house somewhere. I put the phone back to my ear and tell my friend that I'll have to call back so I could call a friend who lives nearby. There's no answer. It's not even 60 seconds after my exit. And as luck would have it, a police cruiser turns out of the alley onto my block. I see them and they me, so I wait for them to stop and they do. But they weren't the typical police though. Like I said, it's not the greatest area. It was an unmarked police car with plain clothes officers, a gang unit car or something, and here indeed they're called the Jump Out Boys. 
I explain what just happened, how I just came home and that I think someone is in my house. This is now all maybe three or four minutes from the time that I arrived. So, four policemen, weapons drawn, embark through my house and I crutched in tow. They get to the stairs, call out Detroit police several times and then they head up. I wait at the bottom and in one minute or so they make their descent and tell me nothing. Nobody's there and as quickly as they entered they made their exit. I thank them and they just drive away. Now at most about eight minutes have lapsed and there I am just looking like what happened standing very close to my door in my front room, trying to digest everything and wondering what I had heard. Maybe 20 seconds go by and I'm just kind of standing there silently with my ear turned up to the roof of my house when I hear what starts almost as a dragging sound, starting at the rear of my house, growing louder as it gets closer to the front. No sooner as it's right above me, loudest crash as if it was trying to come right through the floor that separated me from it and I noped right out of there and left back to my family's place quick smart. About five days later I returned and was really anxious about being there but nothing ever happened and slowly living there just went back to normal. In the end I really don't know what happened that day if there was someone living in my roof or someone broke in or if perhaps something paranormal was going on. So this was about five months ago. I don't remember it with complete clarity I'll admit and I'm definitely not the best at storytelling events from my life so bear with me I'll do my best. So this was about 2am in downtown Denver. A friend of ours hosts a D&D session every Sunday. Me and my partner normally stay the night, but we had plans the next Monday and had to go early. So we say our goodbyes to everyone, grab our bags, and we head out. It wasn't a long walk at all to the car, not even a block away. Me and my significant other started walking and chatting about the session. Then we both get silent at the same time. Someone was behind us, I don't know how, but we both knew that he was going to be bad news. He continued to follow us to the parking garage and right before we entered he spoke up with a, are you ladies 18 or older? Now I'm a bit of a bigger girl, 5'10 and more than knew how to hold my own against creeps, but this guy struck me as different. He was a good foot taller than me, a blonde hair, blue-eyed male with one heck of a disgusting smile. Me being the dumb, polite person that I am, I said something like, um, yes, why? And he proceeded to start saying things like, do you pay your taxes? With a quick response of, sorry, we aren't really at that stage of our lives yet. He quickly responds with a long rant about how taxes are terrible. You should never pay them. They're using your taxes to kill people all the time. The government is killing people. Everyone's killing people and they get away with it so easily. Then he began to move closer and closer to us. My partner is backing up into the garage and me being stupid. I was too scared to move. Just trying to keep him focused on myself rather than her. 
He gets within a few inches of my face. I try to casually backstep, sort of, keep my movements looking natural, straighten my back out, compensating for the fact that this person is larger than me. His breath, though, was horrible, and you could smell the alcohol with every single word that came out of his mouth, and his blue wristband was still on. Don't know if that's a bar thing or not. All I know is that he had one. He continues on with his rant, though, so my significant other tries to argue back a bit. He starts to move away from me towards her. After a few glances between me and her, we catch on to we need to just do whatever this guy says. When she stops arguing, his rant goes from taxes to political figures and genocide for some reason. And he says, You know, I could kill anyone that I want and get away with it. Anyone can. The government's watching us, but they don't care. Plus, they'll never know. His words were not making much sense. And then he says, You know, we're killing this planet, and it could be solved if we had less of this population here. Mind you, this guy is now back in my face, staying as close as possible. If either of us went for our phone or our watches or whatever, he'd shift to them, and not to compliment him by any means, but he was very perceptive for someone that I assume was drunk out of their mind. The conversation continues for about maybe five, ten minutes. Felt like an hour, though. I feel pretty disgusted with myself for it, but I'm agreeing with everything that he's saying. At the point, he seemed to be completely forgetful about my significant other. I introduced myself using my character name and I shake his hand, which allowed me to see a bunch of track marks on his arm. I'm freaking out a bit on the inside thinking that I'm going to get stabbed or something. I've never even been in a fight, so how the heck do I handle this? All the while smiling and agreeing. And then his behavior shifted. Still staying way too close to me, he starts scratching himself all over, reaching into his left pocket over and over every time that he says kill, or even references it. Honestly, at this point, I was more angry than scared, and started trying to work around him as stepping back was just leading me to a wall. It wasn't working though, no matter how I tried to walk or where I tried to go, he was always right there in my face talking about killing anyone that he wanted. That it would solve the world's problems if people just went out and killed hundreds of others. In the end, I just got really fed up with it, stepped to my right and then quickly to his left and backed up straight out of the garage. Me followed, so did my partner behind him. But we were finally out in the open again. I sent so many desperate looks to people walking by as he kept getting more and more pushy and ever closer to me, so much so that he was almost chest to chest with me. I don't know what came over me in the end, but I grabbed my significant other's arm, I mustered the best smile that I could, and I said, I just want to hold your hand. As a gay person with a few homophobic and crazy people encounters, this was definitely my worst idea ever. She handed me her hand, I pulled her by me, and this man that seemed like a huge threat backed up immediately, saying, Oh, you two are together. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I'm cool with that. Have a great night. It's kind of humorous, but also a bit weird that this is the one time that my sexuality has ever saved me rather than put me in danger. We waited until he was far up the street, and then we went straight to the car. And the second that we got in, we locked the doors and drove off. 
I was uh, shaking the whole car ride home. We actually passed him later down the road as well, and me and him made direct eye contact one last time. So my friend and I were both federal law enforcement at the time of this story. We were working out of southeastern Arizona at the time, and we both enjoyed the outdoors. He has done uh, mountain climbing and camping around the world and stuff like that. I've camped and hiked around the US and had some experience hunting in Florida, and was comfortable with being in the remote wilderness, often alone even. Chiricahua isn't very remote in my experience, hardly the most out of where I've been, we went there to the National Monument area last winter for an easy hike to take in the scenery. Apparently the hanging rocks and the vistas were pretty nice. Spoiler, they were. It's worth noting too that I've only recently learned of the missing 411 cases and wasn't aware of it at the time. So we arrived and had both brought our service handguns which we habitually did off duty. Well, we then hiked about an hour down the trail away from one of the parking lots. There were many rocks as well as some small outcroppings, grottos and caves. It was partly cloudy when we arrived, but clear enough for the sun to shine through. We made it an hour down a looping trail that took about two and a half hours round trip estimate. At this point, it had become full on overcast with moderate fog and very light rainfall. I remember it being particularly gloomy at this point. Still, though, we were enjoying the hike, although the temperature dropped considerably. Shortly after the fog came in, the last part of the bad weather change, we heard a strange set of, like, three knocking noises from behind a hanging rock at the top of the gorge that we were in at that point. It sounded vaguely like a, a heavy tool being slammed against the rock, in the cadence of maybe two knocks a quarter of a second apart, a short second delay, then a third knock. These three knock sequences repeated several times from that location. We stopped as soon as we heard it, and we were immediately made uneasy for some reason. After several sets of knocks, it stopped, and we started moving about 50 yards when we heard the same several set of knocks from the opposite side of the gorge. Then, again from a third position that was once again above us on the rim of the gorge near some large monolithic rocks. We then had a very uneasy and frightening feeling. My friend told me something to the effect of, hurry up, let's get out of here, I don't like this. And we started moving out of there at a constant jog. For the next five minutes, we heard a few more sets of knocks from the three different locations, and I felt very much in danger for my life for some reason. At one point, we even stopped at the outcropping on the rim of the gorge. We both had our hands on our holsters and did a quick look at the ridge above us. We instinctively grabbed cover before doing so, and I guess that just shows just how disturbed we were. When we made it to the trail crossroads at the end of the loop near the visitor center, we had lost the feeling of dread about a half mile back, I'd say. We went to the visitor center and asked the ranger there if there were any crews working in the area or any groups of people doing something that sounded like the knocking that we described. She said that it sounded like we heard woodpeckers... I played my roommate a clip of the woodpecker native in the area via YouTube on my phone, and the sound was vaguely similar, but the tapping of the woodpecker was much faster, and it wasn't quite as deep-toned. He said, Well, that does kind of sound like it. We probably just heard that and got freaked out. 
I didn't agree, but I felt as if it would be embarrassing to admit that I still felt something very weird actually happened, so I feigned agreement. And then we just drove off. And like I said, I learned of Missing 411 many months later on a weird part of YouTube, sort of a binge late one night. But when I saw Pilates was former LEO, I took it much more seriously and fell down the rabbit hole. I actually mostly forgot about the incident at this point, and I didn't actually connect the dots until I saw that the mountains that we were at were supposedly a hotspot of disappearances when looking for any clusters around Arizona. I then told my friend about this when he was over my apartment one day. At first it was about the 411 in general, and he seemed interested. I then told him the really creepy part is that the mountains that we were at is supposedly a cluster. And his eyes went wide and he looked really spooked. He replied with, really? Upset and sort of incredulous. I replied with, yeah, I still don't think that these were woodpeckers, man. And he said, you know, I, I didn't want to say it, but I don't actually think so either. But whatever was going on, it almost felt supernatural. This is how I honestly felt inside at the time as well, in retrospect, but I just didn't want to say it. What do you guys think? Does this sound 411 related? Is the place that we were at a cluster? I would love to hear your thoughts. You know, the woods are safe, it's just the people you have to worry about. The one instance that I'll never forget was when a man just showed up at our campground site, also miles from any actual campground, and watched us behind different trees from a distance. A few of us said hello, but he wouldn't answer. Yet, when he saw the kids, he tried to talk to them repeatedly. We were a big group of adults, but since we had children with us, some of the guys finally went over and confronted him. He claimed not to be watching us, and then he just walked away. Then, later that night, he pulled up in a beat-up RV and parked right next to our makeshift group site, blocking us in. The RV itself was bizarre and really creepy. He had children's underwear on the dash, toys and junk piled up. It was getting dark and we were all around the fire when he suddenly just walks up and stands in our little circle. He made a comment right off the bat that all the little ones went to bed already which obviously freaked me out immediately. The guys asked him to leave, semi-nicely, not knowing what his deal was. About a half an hour later, I could see him standing off behind a tree, smoking. I couldn't really see him, but I saw the end of his cigarette, so I guessed it was him. But he just watched and chain-smoked. It was a really unnerving experience. In the middle of nowhere, being watched by a man who seemed to focus on our kids... Not to mention that out of the three other families that we were with, my family of four was the only one with a tent, which didn't feel as safe as an RV or camper with him there. I went to bed when our two kids did, so that they weren't alone. Our tent was on the further side of the site, away from the fire. Shortly after the kids fell asleep, I heard the crunching in the woods around the tent, and called my husband's name, thinking that he was stumbling in the dark looking for our tent door. When he didn't answer, I unzipped the door and shined the light around. 
right across the feet of the creepy guy. I instantly jumped up and started yelling. All the guys came running from the fire immediately, but the creepy guy just stood there and stared at us. Didn't explain himself, didn't say anything, not that he would have had a good reason anyway, then turned and just walked away. At this point, I was beyond done. We packed up our stuff and we crammed it in the car, pleading with our friends to leave, but they wouldn't. I was the only adult there that hadn't been drinking. No one could drive home. I drove home with my significant other awake and on high alert all the way. Our friends that stayed did have guns and they all had secure campers and RVs to sleep in. They came home the next night and had even more bizarre encounters with this creep. Each of us did contact the authorities, by the way. That right there is why I no longer go camping in remote places anymore. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.